Glad you're here today. My name is Champ. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And Pastor Curtis has asked me to preach the next two weeks, a series from the book of Proverbs. And we've been looking at the life of David for the last few months. And so we're looking at the book of Proverbs, written mainly by Solomon, one of the sons of David. And today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 30 and next week as well. This chapter, written by a gentleman we don't know much about. His name is Agur. And what we do know is that he was not an Israelite. He has a secular background, but came to faith and has a unique view on life that he's going to share in the chapter we're going to look at. The first nine verses today, the rest of the chapter next week, Proverbs chapter 30. And we're looking at how we understand and deal with the human hunger for more. We all know that experience. We know the desire and wants that arise within us. Ambition, greed, desire, want. And we're going to look at the question this week and next, what do you want? And so this is what's in Proverbs 30. It's the theme. And so actually, let me read for you three verses picked out of this chapter. Just to set the tone, this is what this whole chapter is about. So verse 8 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. So he's pushing just blind ambition aside and says, no, give me what I need. Then he says this using very vivid imagery. The leech has two daughters and they cry, give, give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. And then he concludes the chapter. He says, if you play the fool in exalting yourself and if you scheme to do so, just clap your hand over your mouth. This whole chapter is about the human hunger for more. And we're looking at this question, what do you want? And so let's look at the first nine verses of this chapter, Robin, if you'll come and read. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 9. The saying of Agur, son of Jacka, contained this message. I am weary, O God. I am weary and worn out, O God. I am too stupid to be human, and I lack common sense. I have not mastered human wisdom, nor do I know the Holy One. Who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name and his son's name? Tell me if you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. O oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Thank you, Robin. So we've asked the question, what do you want? But Agur is a very wise counselor. Because before we actually get to the question, what do you want, he's going to probe down this alley in our lives, and he's going to say, what informs what you want? So it's one thing to kind of pop the hood and say, 
what's the engine propelling me in life? Before we get there, he says, let's get out the map and see where we're going. Before we talk about drive, let's talk about direction. And this is really helpful because when we start talking about the area of want and greed and ambition and desire, it's kind of murky. It's not straightforward, is it? So let me, let's think about this. Here we go. Is it wrong? Is it wrong? You tell me. You think about this. How would you answer? Is it wrong to want more respect? Is it wrong to want more success? Is it wrong for you to want more accomplishment? Is it wrong for you to want a better job or a different position? Is it wrong for you to want your kids to succeed in school or in sports or in love or in a career? Is it wrong to want more money, a better house, deeper relationships, or just some peace and quiet? Is it wrong? And the answer is, it depends. You see, when we talk about hunger and greed and desire, even those words are not evenly weighted, are they? Some have more negative connotations, some are like kind of neutral. When we talk about what do you want, we need clarification. We need to ask, well, what informs what you want? How do you know if your desires are good or bad, that they'll lead to a good outcome or only more regret? Well, Agur begins this conversation with a personal confession. He puts his cards on the table and he humbles himself and he kind of just reveals and says, I don't have it figured out. Let's start there. And that's where we're going to start. Number one, you can't figure out your wants on your own. That's what Agur's telling us here. You want to talk about what informs your desires? You can't figure it out by yourself. In a 2017 article in Psychology Today, psychologist William Berry has an article entitled, You Don't Know What You Want. Here's the subtitle. Research indicates humans are bad at predicting what will make them happy. Well, I'm interested to see what data he surveys here. One of his pieces of data, some of the research, there was a study that a bunch of students were brought in for a photography camp. They were taught how to take pictures, and they were also taught how to develop photographs as well. And at the end of the week, they were given, each student was brought in separately and given two photographs that they had taken, two different photographs that they had taken and developed. And they said, you're going to be able to keep one of these, and we're going to keep the other. Now, if I understand the study right, one group of students, they said this. They said, you've got to make the choice right now. You pick one or the other, you get one, we keep one forever. That's it. Then with another group, they said, tell you what, you, here's two pictures, you get one, we get one, but anytime you want to swap it out, you just let us know, we'll swap it out. What do you think most people chose? The option. I want to have the option. I mean, what if I change my mind? What if I second guess myself? And they did. But the ones who said, no, I want to have just a final decision, and that was it, they made peace with it. They were cool with it. It was a done deal, and they were the most happy in this study. The article concludes, while we know, while we think we know what we want, we're often wrong. The mind is designed to trust itself, but psychology, time and time again, proves it is unworthy of that reputation. And actually, Agur, in our text, agrees with that. And he says, we have limited strength. When it comes to understanding what informs our wants, 
we have limited strength. Look at verse 1. The words of Agar, son of Jaca, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Weary. Worn out. Why? Because he's trying to figure out how the world works. He's trying to figure out what's the right kind of outcome. How do I make this choice? Is my desire directed in the right direction? And he's just exhausted from trying to figure it all out. So a couple weeks ago, our dishwasher unexpectedly went out. I guess they always go out unexpectedly, right? So it went out unexpectedly, and after trying to evaluate, you know, can we fix it? That was one whole thing. I mean, how many times I had to cover off that thing? Then we decided we're just going to get another one. And then the other work started. You were going online, looking at reviews, we're consulting consumer reports, we're talking to friends, I'm at Lowe's, trying to talk through bad reception about what the options are and the sales are and the features are, and I was worn out. I just wanted the right dishwasher, the best one, in our home yesterday. That's just a dishwasher. We're not even talking about career aspirations. We're not even talking about health decisions, school choices. I mean, the reality is, is like, we just don't have the time or the energy or the strength to gather all the data and figure out what we want. But agar is not done. It gets worse. Not only do we not have the strength, we don't have the capacity. We have limited capacity. Verses 2 and 3, surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man, a human. I have not learned wisdom nor the knowledge of the Holy One. The problem here is not discovering data, gathering data. It's processing it. So I've got the data, and I can't sort it out. He says, I feel subhuman. Nick read Psalm 73. I was like a beast before you. He's like, I feel like a beast. It's above my pay grade. I mean, you can try to teach calculus to a first grader, and they may have all the data, but just they're not going to be able to go, oh, I get that. I can process that. So even if we had all the data, like I wanted all the data for the dishwasher, if you have all the data about children, your boss, a spouse, your future spouse, a long life, you know, we're going to fumble the ball because we're going to misread the data. We're going to skew the data. We're going to misinterpret the data. Why? Well, some people might say, I know why. It's because there's too much data. There's too much information. There's a very famous TED Talk and book by Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. And we live in a day of what seems to be unlimited options, too many options. No wonder, you know, we start, you know, popping breakers because there's just so many options to choose from. Like, narrow it down. But Agar says, no, 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 no. The problem with being able to process all the information is not that we have too many choices, is that we don't have enough. Our scope isn't too narrow. Our scope, our scope uh, isn't too broad. Our scope is too narrow. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means not only do we lack capacity, but we lack capacity because we lack perspective. And that's the next thought. Verse 4. Here's what Agar asks. Some questions. Rhetorical question. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? 
who has gathered the wind in his fists, who's wrapped up the waters in a garment, who's established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Do you know? So notice the first four lines of this verse. The first line and the fourth line go together. They're a pair. The middle two lines go together. They're a pair. So the outer lines talk about the height of what God has created. The fourth line talks about the breadth, the expanse of what God has created. So God as creator created all of it from the widest point, the highest point. And not only has he created it, but he's involved in it. He's sustained it. Notice the middle two lines. He's, he's involved with the wind. He's involved with the water. He's not just creator and then distance, but he's right in the mix. This is an Israelite way of saying this. God the creator, unlike me back then, if you were lived back then, there were no planes or hot air balloons. You know, birds could fly up in the air, but I, no one else has a bird's eye view on anything. But God, the creator and the sustainer, can see it all to the very ends. He's got that perspective. And he has the perspective because he can see all the data. So think about this. Let's say you're going to buy a house. You need all the data. Do you know what the flood patterns are? What about the flood patterns when they change the road out in front of your development? What about the meetings that are going on in Dover about your school district leadership that you won't know about until it comes down the pipe nine months from now? Ah, or how about the new neighbors that are going to move in two years with a new set of kids that's going to change the entire neighborhood dynamic? Do you know about that? So this is this a good choice? How do you know? You don't You aren't able to know because you don't have all the data, because you don't have that bird's eye perspective. You don't have all that. So when Micah was, my son was four or five years old, we bought a a video game system for the house, a Wii. And one of the first games we bought was Lego Star Wars. Great game. Uh, Back then, not now, but back then, uh, he had difficulty figuring out how to get through certain levels. And so, I'm not sure why, just a trusting four-year-old says, hey, Dad, can you help me? Because I'm terrible at this. So how do I get the guy to go from this rock to this rock, over the lava, and to the end of that level successfully? And we tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And then I discovered online a beautiful thing called walkthroughs. And if you don't know what those are, that's like the online version of a cheat sheet. That says, here's how you do it. Now, those are not made by the people that make the game. They're by people who've like played the game for hundreds of hours and have figured it out and then tell you how to make it through the game successfully. They're wonderful. God, the designer of life, has given us a walkthrough. And he, as designer, has all the data. And we can rely on the one who's given it to us. So while we have limitations and deficiencies, we can't figure out what we want. Here's what we can know. You can totally rely on God's word to guide you. You can totally rely on the Bible to guide you. So why should we rely on God's word? 
first of all, as we're just kind of hinting at, God's Word takes into account all the data. God's Word takes into account all the data. There was a 2018 article called, If You Don't Know What You Want, This Is For You. Very subtle and humble uh, title for an article. If you don't know what you want, this is for you. Author Saw Kalik writes this. A lot of time you feel like you're just floating, trying to make sense of it all. It seems like you haven't even begun your journey. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want for a career. I don't know if I want this person. I don't know what I want, period. Here's what he says. Get out a pen and paper, start a new document, begin writing. What I know for certain is... He says, don't focus on what you, know, what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. This means focus what you know for certain about your goals, aspirations, and interests. And he says this, what I know for certain. Here's some examples. I know for certain that I want to travel to many different countries. I know for certain that I want to start a business. I know for certain that I don't see a future with my partner. I know for certain X, Y, or Z. It could be anything, he says. And more often than not, it will be broad. This may seem simple, he says, but you've in effect cut out all the self-made barriers and simplified it. I know for certain. That's it. Everything else is almost negligible now. It's difficult, as this article points out, to know even a few things for certain. But what if the one who is advising you giving you maybe those few things, knew everything for certain. God does. From relational dynamics and all the layers of all the relationships in all the years of your life. All the traffic patterns. All economic trends around the globe. All the nuances of every conversation. All the programming languages. Did you know God knows how your computer works? All the zeros and ones in the operating system. He knows all that. He has all the data. But God has only chosen to give us a keyhole view on life. Just a slice. But it's the right slice. It's the right keyhole at the right place with the right perspective. He's got it all. He's given us this, but it's the right keyhole that accounts for all the data. And that keyhole is God's word. That keyhole, here, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs calls that keyhole on the way the world works, wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to rightly relate to God, the world he's made, other people, and yourself. It's skill in knowing how to relate to God, his world, others, and yourself. So sometimes you can look through a keyhole that's not God's word and think, oh, I got this. You know, and you, your perspective, our perspective is limited. We don't have all the data, like we've already said. So for years, people thought, oh, we need to make great uh, improvements in life. Let's, do, let's build a hydraulic uh, dam, hydroelectric dam. But years after the fact, we realized, oh, this has like a, a strong ecological footprint. There's, there's trade-offs here. 
We used to think that forest fires were bad, and now we realize, oh, actually, there's something actually healthy for the ecology in a forest fire. Some people might think, I know, you know, this situation, this calls for justice. I mean, it's right. And if it's right, it's right. And what's right is right. End of story. What about mercy? On the other hand, it could be like, well, we need to be compassionate and loving toward people and showing mercy. That's the right path here, obviously. What about justice? I mean, you're going to see keyhole views on life everywhere, especially in election years. You see limited perspectives that are limited. Without God's wisdom, you're not going to be able to figure out whether your wants and desires and aspirations are good, kind of good, not good. But he's given us in his word the precise perspective and keyhole view that will allow us to understand what's good. So how do we know that God's word that takes into account all the data is reliable? How do we know? Well, it's been field tested in the real world. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Some translations say every word of God is flawless. It's talking about like gold being refined in a fire. It's been tested. It's been evaluated. It's been tried. It's been put through its paces. Which is really ironic because probably the prevailing perception about Christianity today is like it is so out of touch. It's so antiquated. It's so last century, last millennium. It's out of date, but the Bible says that it's actually very much in sync. You hear a lot today about things being on the wrong side of history. The Bible's actually more concerned about being on the right side of reality. So some people might say, well, yeah, I mean, I hear you, but, you know, I mean, honestly, at the Bible, it, there are things it just it didn't anticipate. It doesn't quite cover it all. It's complicated today. Financially complicated, relationally complicated, just a whole ways is complicated. I mean, there are requirements that take me away from, from commitment to God's people, church, or my family. And that's just, you know, there's really no way around that. You know, there's uh, financial difficulties and relational stress that we can avoid by just living together. I know we're con- it's continual overspending, but that's just kind of where we are right now. And I don't know, but somehow we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll get out of it. But that's just what we have to do. Don't try to be wiser than God. He's got all the data. And he's given you the keyhole you need. You don't have to have all the data, but you have to have and look through the keyhole he's given. Because God's ways are not just right. That's what we typically think, right? We're Christians, we're right. We play the I'm right card. But because God made the world and he knows how it works, he made it to work that way. When he tells us what's right, you know what also is true? It's the way that's good. It's the way that promotes human flourishing. I've said it before, but I love the quote. It says, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. 
And God is the one who made the universe. There's a pastor friend of mine. He spoke at a men's conference a couple years ago here. His name is Chris Bronze. He told his family this as they were growing. His kids were growing up. He would say, you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. We ignore the keyhole at our peril. We think we might be choosing a better way. But God has all the data. And he says, no, here's what you need to know. And it's been field tested. This is the way the world works. So you might think this sounds a little bit too much like typical religion. You know, I hear you. Okay, okay. We need to obey a whole list of things that the Bible tells us to do and life will be good. I've heard this before. This is typical church stuff. And I think our chapter here, it's pretty wise. And it would say, I think you're on to something. Because that is certainly not the whole story. If you sense that's lacking in some way, you're right. God's word is what you need to guide you through your wants and desires and aspirations and ambitions. Not only because it has all the data and it's been field tested, because it provides a north star to guide you through the dark. Look at verses 7 through 9. Agur says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Here they are. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's number one. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me instead with the food that is needful for me. Now listen to the motives for why he says, don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. Anybody prayed that recently? He says, lest I be full, have lots of riches, and I deny the Lord because I don't need him. Or lest I am so broken in poverty that I steal and I dishonor God. Do you see what the North Star is that's guiding both his desire to avoid poverty on the one hand and riches on the other? It's God himself. It's not merely a list of rules that I need to keep. What keeps us on that path of wisdom of rightly relating to God, the world, others, and ourselves is that we are concerned about God, not merely towing the line. Verse 5 says, He is a shield to all who trust in Him, not all who trust in their own performance of keeping a list of rules. Now, our Trust lives itself out in the form of obedience, but it also lives itself out in the form of I trust him. And when I make a decision that I think is the wise path and it doesn't go the way I expected, he doesn't promise that it's always going to be comfortable, but he promises that we can trust him and that even in those difficult times, he is a shield to all who seek refuge in him. God's word is reliable to inform your ambitions, your wants, your desires. It has all the data. He has all the data. It's been field tested, that keyhole, and he's the true north that guides us. It's, it's not just about rules. It's about him. And his word invites you into that relationship with him. So maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, ah, sounds good. 
But I don't know how to live with God as my north star. I mean, I feel other things kind of pulling me this way and that way, and my ambitions pulling this way, and my desires pulling that way. Or you might say, I'd like God's word to inform. I'd like that keyhole to inform my my desires, my ambitions, my wants. But, you know, it hasn't. In fact, uh, I'd say that um, in terms of my rightly relating to God, the world, other people, and myself, I'm pretty bad at that. I'm not skilled in that. I wish I were, but I'm not. Well, let me, let me tell you about let me tell you about someone who's like amazing at that. Someone who's amazing at being skillful in relating to God, the world, others, and himself. In his life, he made amazing decisions all the time. He always let that keyhole view of God's word inform his life and the choices he made. He always lived with God as his true North Star. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. If you read God's word, you realize, and you read the stories about Jesus, the true stories about Jesus, what you realize is people all the time are saying, he is so wise. I mean, even as a child, they were amazed by his wisdom. He always lived skillfully and rightly relating to his father and the world that he had made and other people and himself. But there's really, really good news here. That wisdom, that right relationship between God to God and to the world and to others and himself, that wisdom, it's not just something he owns. It's something he gives. He is not just kind of the high water mark of wisdom, the epitome of wisdom. But that wisdom that you can see in the life of Jesus Christ, he says, I want it to be yours. Here you go. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Here's what it says. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Stop. Jesus Christ has become wisdom from God. We just talked about that. But he's become wisdom of God for us. His wisdom he gives to you. Even righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You say, I I don't think I really have a good handle on rightly relating to God and others in the world and myself. I don't really live in wisdom. My choices are skewed. How do I get in line with all that? How do I shape my wants according to that revealed keyhole wisdom? And the answer is, lay down your own wisdom. The one who boasts, don't boast. If you think you've got it figured out, you're the one that needs to say, you know what? I don't have it figured out. The one who says, you know what? Here's what I think. If that's your posture, then your hands are full of your own wisdom and unable to receive any that God would give you. But if you'll lay down your own wisdom, your own home-cooked version of whatever keyhole you think you got life figured out by, he's become for us wisdom. 
so that we would not boast. I was just talking in a membership class. There's a dividing line today in the world. There's a dividing line today in the church, and the dividing line is this. How do you view this keyhole view of God's word, his wisdom to you? Either, on the one hand, you can look at God's word and kind of stand over it and say, you know, that part right there, I don't really like that. That's so antiquated. And this here, I'm not sure about that and that. That's definitely got to go. Or, on the other hand, you can stand under God's word, under God's wisdom, and let God speak to your wisdom and say, I'm not so sure about that. And that, yeah, that's got to go, and that definitely needs to change. So which posture represents you? Are you over the word, picking and choosing which parts of God's wisdom will fit for you? Are you under the word of God? He offers you a wisdom that takes into account all the data that's been field tested and has God himself as your guide. Would you lay down your own wisdom today and humbly ask him to give you his? He will. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to live in humility before you, that we would lay down our own wisdom and seek wisdom from you, that we would be good listeners of your word, not discriminators of your word. So Lord, help your word, your wisdom to guide what we want. Common desires throughout this week, large, life-changing desires in our plans. In all these things, we ask for your guidance and your wisdom. And we thank you that you have given it to us, forever rightly relating us to yourself and the world and others because of Jesus. And we pray this in his name, our wisdom. Amen.